Hi, podcast listeners. This is another chapter in the ongoing serialization of Fates Version Death Sunrise Hotel, a full-length novel that takes place in the Fates Version Death universe. We'll be doing one chapter every other week, uh, free on the podcast, or if you want to listen to or read the whole thing now, you can go to www.fatesworsendeath.com and buy the complete novel. When you buy the paper version of the novel, you'll get access to the complete audiobook that you can download in MP3 format. Fates First and Death Sunrise Hotel contains some pretty heavy subject matter, including some sexual violence, so these podcasts are intended for mature listeners only. Fates First and Death Sunrise Hotel a novel by Brian St. Clair King. This story takes place in the world of Fate's Worse Than Death, the role-playing game. Tina went downstairs. It was now 7.42. She went back up to 5.18, which she had left unlocked. Inside the room, she set out all her knives and took off her boot blades. Then she very carefully dripped poison onto each blade, wiping the poison across their surfaces with a small wad of toilet paper. The poison started to make her feel dizzy and lightheaded, so she opened the window. The air that came in was cool and smelled of a rainstorm, as she could hear raindrops hitting the alley's pavement outside. While she waited for the poison to dry, she knelt by the bed and loosened the bolts that held on the looping bars at the bed's head and feet. She loosened them until they were just barely held on. She didn't plan on letting herself get handcuffed to the bed, but if she did, she wanted there to be some chance of escape. When she was done with that, she applied another coat of poison to her blades. Tina carefully turned the bed on its side and attached two of her knives to the bottom with cross pieces of duct tape. Then she grew worried that, if she had to reach under and grab a knife, she would accidentally grab a blade and kill herself. So she made two sheaths out of duct tape. She tapped her foot on the carpet nervously, wishing she had a watch. She was worried they might come in any second and catch her in her preparations. Yet she didn't want to leave, not with the knives still wet. Tina attached the duct tape sheaths to the bottom of the cot, intertwining duct tape through the wire mesh to keep the sheaths in place. She put a knife in each sheath, then put the bed back in place. The other knives were fairly dry, so she put them in her, their sheaths, on her belt and attached to the inside of her jacket. Then she very carefully put on and laced up her boots. Tina closed the window and left the room, locking it behind her. Tina went down the stairs as quickly as she dared. The clock in the manager's cage read 9.51, a little more than an hour remaining. Tina went back to her room. Tabitha was still there. The baby was asleep. Joe came, Tabitha said, but he left when I told him what was going on. He asked me to lie and say he'd never been here, but the truth is that he doesn't want to help and doesn't have the guts to say so to your face. Shit, Tina said. They both sat in silence for a while. Then Tina asked, If I die tonight... What will you tell people about me? I don't know, Tabitha shrugged. I guess I'll tell them that Maricel got murdered, and that you tracked down who did it, and went to go make them pay for what they'd done, and that you went alone because nobody would help you, and because you're very brave, and I'll tell them you went down fighting, and that you probably took a couple of the fuckers down with you. Tina smiled. I love Maricel, you know. We all did. No, I mean, I had a crush on her. I wanted to be her girlfriend, but I never told her. Why not? I was afraid she would say she didn't like me like that. Couldn't like me like that. 
but I'll tell people you were girlfriends. They were madly in love, and that's why you had to get her killers. Yeah, but that's not true. Fuck truth. Life is what you make of it, especially for people like us. Isn't that why we ran away? So we could make up our own stories of who we are? You made up the Blade Queen, and that's who you are. But nobody thinks of me as the Blade Queen. They just think of me as Tina. Not anymore. Not after this. After tonight, whether you survive or not, you're going to be the Blade Queen forever. Tina smiled again. Tina, you're the bravest girl I know. You're fucked up in a lot of other ways, but you're hella brave. I don't know, Tina said. The way I live, the way we live, I think it's kind of a cop-out. We run away because we can't deal with our families. We do drugs because we don't like our lives. Brave would be to actually change things for ourselves. But I'm trying to change. I'm trying to be brave. In the silence that followed, Tina could hear the distant sounds of a train, drunk people talking loudly outside, and old music playing on a cheap music player in a room down the hall. The baby was still sleeping. Can I borrow a knife? Tina asked Tabitha suddenly. Tabitha laughed. You have a million knives. Why do you want to borrow one from me? All mine have poison on them. I don't want to rub any of it off. Slowly, careful not to shake the baby, Tabitha lifted a leg and pulled from her boot a leather case with a small knife in it. Tina took it and unsheathed it. She went to the wall and put the blade to the dirty, yellowing paint. She started to carve deep lines that formed letters. The manager is going to freak out when he sees that, Tabitha warned. What the fuck do I care? asked Tina. That asshole had something to do with what happened to Maricel. If he gives me shit about this, he'll be lucky if I don't kill him. Tabitha laughed. You're dangerous, girl. Fuck right. Tina carved, The Blade Queen was here. Then she paused, wanting to carve more words underneath, but unsure what to say. After some thought, she wrote, She has poison knives and knows no fear. If you hurt someone she loves, she won't stop until you're dead. Tina went downstairs to the lobby to check on the time. The lobby was empty, with just a weak yellowish light on to help latecomers make their way to the stairwell. The manager had gone home, his cage dark. In the quiet, Tina could hear the electronic clock humming. The clock told her that 17 minutes were remaining. Tina wanted to check in with Clovis, but worried that the thugs might show up at any moment and would go to see Clovis first. Tina being seen with Clovis could ruin the whole plan. Tina's mouth felt dry, and her heart seemed to be beating abnormally hard. She climbed the stairs slowly, not wanting to be out of breath when she got to 518, in case they were already there. When she got up to 518, she knocked lightly on the door, but there was no answer. She put her back to the wall and tried to look as if she was casually waiting. Her armor was uncomfortable, the metal plates biting her where she leaned against the wall. Tina hoped they wouldn't see the armor and immediately realized she was there for a fight. Minutes passed, and everything was quiet. Tina began to wonder if something had spooked the three. Perhaps the pimp had called them back and told them that Tina was acting funny, and it might be a trap. Perhaps something else had come up and they had just blown Tina off. Or maybe they were just late because they wanted to show they were in charge by making Tina wait. Tina began to hope that they weren't going to show up, and she wouldn't have to confront them tonight. That was a silly thought, she realized. If she really didn't want to be there, she could just leave. There was no reason to hope they wouldn't show up. Yet she couldn't leave. She couldn't return to her room and have her roommates know she had went out. She wasn't sure if she could live with herself if she went out. After waiting for what seemed like ten minutes or so, Tina heard men's voices coming from the stairwell. She could not make out the words, but they were talking boisterously, joking and laughing, not caring about any hotel resident they might wake up. The three emerged from the stairwell and into the hallway. They looked like Tina remembered them. Young, strong, scarred, brutal, dressed and modified with no aesthetic goal other than looking tough. They moved slowly, at ease. Their body language told Tina they were not afraid of anything. Two of them were smoking. Their hair and jackets were wet. 
They ambled up to her, their eyes on her. The short black eye with the scowl and head spikes looked her up and down, breathed out smoke, and asked, You Tina? His voice was unpleasant, like a sneer. Yeah, said Tina, not liking how close they were and how they seemed to be fanning out to surround her. She didn't let herself shrink back. I know you, said the multiracial one with the big bulge in his pants. You called yourself. What'd you call yourself? Knife girl? Tina looked down and gave a forced chuckle. Oh, Blade Queen. That's just something I call myself to strangers. You know, to discourage them from wanting to mess with me. He made a grunt that she supposed was a noise of understanding. So you live here? In this hotel? Yeah, Tina said. The short guy pulled a hotel key from the pocket of his black leather jacket. Tina noticed it had the same round white fob with a handwritten number on it that Tina had in her own pocket. This wasn't a copy, it was something the manager handed over. He unlocked the door, but then paused with it open only an inch, his hand on the doorknob. Why don't you take those off, he asked, motioning to her bladed boots. It's a small room in there. We don't want anyone getting hurt by accident. Tina knelt and started unlacing her shoes. She paused. I'll take them off, but a lot of stuff gets stolen around this hotel. You mind if I bring them with me? His eyelids narrowed a fraction of an inch. Suit yourself, but put them in the corner where they're out of the way. He opened the door and waited for Tina to enter. She entered and placed her shoes in the corner. The three men followed her in, shut and locked the door. The skinny one with the muscle implants and the crotch bulge sat on the bed. From a pocket he retrieved something like a wristwatch with thick black band. He placed it on the bed next to him. Then he stripped off his damp, puffy sports coat and threw it in the corner, over Tina's shoes. Now on a white tank top, he sat back on the bed, put the device on his wrist, and snaked a thin cord from the device into a small jack on the palm of his hand. Risk, said the short, spiky one to the tall, awkward one. Go down and tell the nerd that we're ready to start recording. Yeah, said the one who had been called Risk, and loped out of the room. The short one turned to Tina. He reached into the pocket of his loose-fitting jeans and pulled out a wad of cash. He counted out some bills, mostly twenties with a few tens and fives. Here's the deal, he said, pulling aside a set of bills and showing them to her. You get two hundred bucks. We handcuff you to the bed, and you do a little play-acting. Say, please no, and whimper like you're scared. We rip off your panties, straight up fuck you, no condom, no anal. We might slap you around a little bit, but nothing that really hurts. We might gag you. What do you say? How many of you are going to fuck me? Tina asked. Just boner here, the short one said, using the back of his hand to hit the multiracial man with the tank top muscle implants and huge bulging crotch. And how do I know you'll just do what you said, that you'll let me go afterwards? Listen, Blady, these videos make good money. If people like your video, we make another. If we let anything bad happen to you, how are we going to do that? He looked at her impatiently. Tina thought about how this offer would have sounded to her a week ago, or two weeks ago. Would she have thought it was a good deal? Would she have thought she was safe with these guys? Yeah, okay, Tina said. Good, he smiled, showing his missing teeth. So take off everything but your bra and panties. He dug into a pocket and pulled out a little metal tube. He tossed it to her. And put some of this lube in your pussy. Our audience don't like to feel dry pussy. Reluctantly, Tina stripped off her jacket, then armor, then shirt and jeans. She put them in a careful pile next to her boot blades. She turned and faced the wall and pretended to anoint herself with some of the stuff from the tube. She didn't want to actually put any on herself in case it was drugged. Glasses, too, he said, so Tina took off her glasses and put them on top of her jacket in the corner. Good, he said. Now get on the bed. Tina lay down on the cot. The slipcover felt cold against her skin, and her whole body shuddered. The short one approached her with handcuffs in his hand. Without asking permission, without even looking at Tina to see if it was okay with her, he snapped one handcuff around her ankle, and then snapped the other end of the bar at the foot of the cot. Tina fought a rising panic. This wasn't how things were supposed to go. She wasn't supposed to get handcuffed. 
She needed to be free when Clovis hacked into Boner and made him attack one of the others. What was she supposed to do if she was all handcuffed when it went down? Clovis couldn't do it all himself, didn't have the guts. She would have been better off attacking them with her poison boot blades in the hallway while she still had her armor on. Now me and Risk, we're like directors, right? He said as he worked. You don't look at us, you don't talk to us. Pretend like Boner here is the only one in the room with you. He snapped the handcuff on her other ankle and attached it to the bed. Now don't scream, he said as he moved towards her head and motioned for her to raise an arm. Anything that hurts Boner's ears is going to hurt the audience's. Wait, Tina interrupted, her mouth dry, her voice sounding small. C can you can you not handcuff my hands until we're ready to start? What's the matter? He said with a leering grin. You afraid? No, it's just... What if I have to scratch an itch or something? I'll scratch your itch, leered Boner, then gave a little laugh. Whatever, said the short one, snapping two handcuffs of the bar over Tina's head and letting the other ends fall onto the mattress. Then Tina heard footsteps running down the hall, approaching rapidly. The footfall stopped at the door. There was an urgent knocking, and Risk's voice came urgently. Andy, it's me! Open up! The shorter guy, who Tina supposed was Andy, unlocked the door and opened it. Risk was breathing hard. He's dead! He panted, pushing his way in. Andy closed the door and locked it again. The geek! Risk continued between breaths. He's dead! Hug himself! He left a note! Sorry, Tina! They all turned to look at Tina. Risk continued. It said, Sorry, Tina! I'm not brave enough! Please forgive me! Sorry, Tina? demanded the shorter one, turning to face Tina. What did he mean, sorry, Tina? Tina couldn't think of anything good to say. Andy struck out fast, punching Tina in the cheek before she could even raise her hands to block. She was knocked backwards onto the bed. She could feel warm blood welling up in her mouth where the inside of her cheek had been driven into her teeth. Andy put his palms on Tina's chest and pushed down hard. Tell me what he meant, he growled. I don't know, Tina gasped. Tell me! I don't know! He considered her, then said, Fuck this! He turned to his friends. Grab her arms! The three circled around her. Tina tried to jerk her hands away, but they grabbed her wrists with amazingly strong hands. They forced her arms up. Resisting with all her strength had no noticeable effect. Andy snapped the handcuffs onto her wrists, and they let go of her arms. Andy nodded to Boner. Go to town, bro! Boner started taking off his pants. As he pulled his underwear down, an unnaturally large, surgically scarred penis flopped out. As Tina watched, it began to engorge. It grew quickly and steadily, like an air mattress being inflated by an electric pump. Don't tear her up too much, Andy said to his friend. We get next, and we don't want to fuck ground beef. With his penis fully erect, Boner gave Tina a leering grin, and rows of small spikes pushed through tiny holes in the skin of his penis. Without meaning to, Tina let out a whimper of fear. Tina remembered the loosened bolts on the bars that the handcuffs were attached to. She started to jerk her arms and legs as hard as she could. Boner climbed onto the bed, climbing over her. He paused to grab Tina's panties and rip them off. One side of the bar at her head came loose, but the others would not budge. Boner pushed her thighs apart and positioned himself between them. Tina tore her eyes away, trying to concentrate on the handcuff on her left hand as she slid it over and down, off the hollow metal bar. Her left hand free, she reached around and under the bed. This was on the side of the bed opposite the two men watching her, and she hoped they wouldn't notice what she was doing. Tina couldn't feel the knife, and guessed that she had placed it too far towards the center of the bed. Her hips and thighs were now pinned down, but she was able to twist at the waist, angle her shoulders, and reach down closer to the center of the bed. Her fingers found the knife, and she pulled it free from the duct tape sheath. Tina pulled the knife up, heard someone shout, HEY! And she stabbed the tip into Boner's bare, heavily muscled bicep. 
He jerked his arm back, freeing the blade. He grabbed at his arm with his opposite hand. Fuck! He spat. Then his mouth fell open, his eyes unfocused. His head started to slowly fall forward. Not wanting him to fall on her and pin her, Tina put the fist holding the knife to the side of his head and pushed as hard as she could. He tumbled sideways off the bed, landing in a flaccid heap before the two onlookers. Quickly, before Risk and Andy could come to terms with what had happened, could come to believe that their supposed victim had killed one of their own, Tina slid her other handcuff off the bar, then darted down to the right side of the bed, grabbing the other knife. When she looked at the two remaining thugs, the one called Andy had his fists up, and Risk had his metal bar raised. Tina pushed herself quickly up on her feet, so she was squatting at the end of the bed, both her feet still handcuffed to the metal bar. Both knives were pointing forward, each ready to strike out. Boner? asked Andy. When Boner didn't move, Andy said, You fucking killed him! He didn't sound devastated or enraged. He sounded incredulous that someone would dare do such a thing. You killed my friend, spat back Tina. Her name was Maricel. She came to you because she needed money, and you fucking killed her, right here in this room. Oh yeah, Andy said with a crooked smile. I knew who you're talking about. She was a fun fuck. Made us a shitload of money, too. Especially the recording where we fucked her to death. Tina guessed he was trying to enrage her, trying to make her do something stupid. Tina reminded herself that she had already come to terms with Marisol's death and the pain and terror that must have preceded it. She could not afford to lose her head now, so she had to think logically about the best way to survive her current situation. On the other hand, Tina didn't know what she would do, whether she would be able to stay rational if they started describing what they had done to Marisol. So Tina spoke. You know what you shit fucks were too stupid to get? You thought you could just go on raping and killing street girls. Because we're poor? Because nobody cares about us? Because we have fucked up emotions? You thought you could just get away with it? You never realized that eventually you'd hurt a street girl with a friend who could kick your sorry little asses. Because you don't fucking understand this city, and you don't understand us, and that's going to fucking cost you your lives, shit fucks. You're going to die because you messed with my friend. Her voice was building to a roar. And I am the fucking Blade Queen! She felt bigger than normal, almost as big as she felt under the influence of Godkiller. Andy looked at the door. Tina realized that if they bolted, then she would be in trouble. They were stronger, and once they were outside, one of them could hold the door closed while the other went out to get help, maybe even get a gun. She could try to cut through the door, but her blades probably weren't strong enough. Even if they could dig through the old wood, it would probably rub the poison off of them, removing her one real advantage. You try to step out that door, Tina warned, and I'll nail you with one of these. She made a small throwing motion with the blade in her right hand. One fucking nick on the back of your head as you run out that door and you're dead. You got me? Nobody is leaving this room until either I'm dead or both of you are dead. They appraised her. Tina tried to guess what they were thinking. Risk had the only long weapon, and thus the only chance to hurt her without being in range to be cut. Yet his metal bar only gave her a few feet, and even with her ankles handcuffed to the bed, she could cover that distance if she leapt forward suddenly. They might be thinking that the bed was her weakness. Either one of them was strong enough to tip it over, which would slam Tina to the floor and make her vulnerable. The bed was small enough that, despite her limited mobility, she could slash at anyone who put a hand on it. Yet she couldn't be on both sides of the bed at once. If they came at her from different sides, she'd have to choose between staying on her feet to attack the one in front of her, or falling back onto an elbow to attack the one behind her. If they figured that out, Tina was screwed. What are you cowards waiting for? Tina demanded. Are you scared? I thought you were supposed to be badasses. You certainly walk around acting like you are. Two against one, with a skinny girl handcuffed to a bed, and you're still scared? How pathetic is that? The tall one surged towards her with a yell, swinging the metal bar down and forward. Tina jumped towards him, her left arm up to protect her head, her right stabbing outwards. 
The metal bar hit her forearm hard. There was a sound like a stick being broken. Reflex tried to pull her legs under her so she could land on them, but they caught. Her momentum jerked the bed forward with a scraping sound, but it didn't move far enough to be under her as she fell. The top half of her body slammed to the floor. Somehow she'd managed to keep her poison knives held tightly in her fists as her elbows and forehead absorbed most of the impact of the fall. Tina was sure her left arm had broken, but was surprised by the lack of pain. The world was spinning. She raised her head off the linoleum and caught a glimpse of Risk stumbling backwards, falling back onto his ass, clutching his stomach. Tina noticed a smear of blood on her knife. Tina couldn't breathe, the breath having been knocked out of her when she hit the floor. Disoriented and desperate to locate the final thug, she looked around wildly. Her feet were up on the bed, pressed together, handcuffs chains twisted. Her knees dangled in midair and her torso was flat on the floor. When she spotted Andy, she saw he had moved to the opposite side of the bed, so that the bed was now between her and him. A thought crossed her mind briefly that this was the smartest of the three, the one she should be worried most about. Andy had his hands on the loose bar at the head of the bed, the bar she had only narrowly escaped being handcuffed to. He seemed to be contemplating the best way to use his position against her. Tina guessed it would either end up with him flipping the bed over on top of her to pin her, or using the bed as a round to pound her into the wall. Either way, Tina would have no hope of surviving if she let him continue. She rolled over onto her back, her legs twisting over each other, and then threw the knife in her right hand. He dodged, moving his body sideways out of the path of the knife. The knife bounced off the wall behind him, and it fell to the floor. Tina couldn't feel her left hand, so she quickly pulled the knife out of it with her right hand. Taking only a fraction of a second to aim, she threw the second knife. Her target, now prepared, dodged easily, and the knife stuck in the wall behind him. Andy laughed derisively. Tina's only advantage, her poison blades, were now gone, and they both knew it. He came out from behind the bed. You stupid cunt, he said with cruel pleasure. You dumb whore. Tina knew there was only one chance. She flipped back onto her stomach and started scrambling as fast and as hard as she could towards the pile of clothes in the corner. Her fingernails dug into the linoleum, breaking, bending, and ripping away from the fingernail beds as she crawled. The pain would have made her scream if she hadn't been so completely focused on the only activity she thought might possibly save her life. Andy's voice moved quickly towards her, saying, You thought you could win? You're fucking retarded. The bed scooted on the floor behind her as she scrambled. Even though she couldn't feel it, she could see her broken arm flopping in front of her, helping her scramble forward. Then she felt him sit down hard on her back as her forward movement came to a sudden, complete stop. Her fingernails, what was left of them, scraped the floor, but she couldn't move. She reached out her good arm as far as it could reach, and her fingers just barely reached the pile. You're nothing, he growled. Nothing! She grabbed and tossed away the jacket. His hand closed, vice-like, on her hair, and he viciously yanked her head back, causing terrible wrenching pain in her neck. Out of her peripheral vision, or perhaps just in her imagination, she could see him pulling back a gloved fist, preparing to deliver a bone-crushing punch to the side of her head. The tips of Tina's fingers grasped the leather on the back of one of her boots. With what tiny bit of air was left in her lungs, Tina hissed, I'm the Blade Queen! And she tossed the boot, blade first, backwards and over her shoulder. There was a jerk, perhaps a surprise or pain, from the human weight pressed against her back. The punch should have come within a blink of an eye. She tried to flinch away so it would hit the back of her head rather than the side. Yet the force pulling her head back lessened and the fingers in her hair grew looser. The man slumped on top of her. Tina was perfectly still. Where was the boot blade? She was naked, completely unprotected, and one cut from the blade would kill her. Very slowly, she turned her head one way, then the other, until she saw the boot sitting on the floor beside them. She rolled the corpse on her back off of her, onto the site where the boot was. 
For several minutes she sat there, nursing her broken arm and torn fingernails, whimpering with the pain and trying to control her breathing. Tears of pain streamed from her eyes and down her face. Blood oozed from a split lip. Her ability to breathe returned in halting gasps. After a few minutes she sat up and surveyed her surroundings. Searching the short guy's body, she found the handcuff keys and freed herself. Slowly, careful not to hurt her arm, she got up. Her first task was to dress, which was not easy. Once she had her pants and shirt on, she turned one of the men's jackets into a makeshift sling for her arm. She didn't put on her armor because it seemed too difficult. She searched their pockets. She found, altogether, about six hundred in cash, which she pocketed. There was also a small vial of godkiller rocks, a lighter, and a small glass pipe. Tina smoked just one puff of a rock, enough to help her deal with the pain, but not enough to impair her judgment. She left the remainder of the godkiller on the floor. There were also cigarettes, and she smoked one and pocketed the rest of the pack. She also pocketed the room 518 key. Using spit and Risk's jacket, she tried to wipe the invisible coating of poison off of her knife and boot blades. The poison was too dangerous, too deadly, for her to want to carry it around on her blades without a specific reason. That done, she pulled on her boots, flung her armor over her shoulder, surveyed her surroundings and the three corpses on the floor one last time, then left the room, locking it behind her. Tina went back down to her floor. The bathroom was locked, occupied. Tina went to her room. Joe and Tabitha were there. Joe told Tina that she looked like shit. She mumbled that she heard all over. They asked her what happened, but she ignored them. She sat down on the bed, putting her back to the wall. Her face, arm, and fingers throbbed with pain, but it hurt less when she was still. Blood dripped from her lip, her fingers, her nose. Jesus, Tina, Joe said. You're bleeding on the mattress again. It doesn't matter, Tina mumbled, then coughed. She heard the bathroom door open as she went out into the hallway. The obese tenant, wearing only a sheet, was moving as quickly as his bulk would allow from the bathroom to the door of his room. He gave her a wary look as they passed each other. Tina went into the bathroom, locking the door. She took a long shower, making the water as warm as the hotel's weak hot water heater made possible. Tina didn't have a towel, so Tina turned off the water and tried to drip dry. Cold seeped in from the bathroom walls, and soon she was shivering. She dressed carefully. The mirror was fogged up, and she thought about wiping it off so she could look at her face, but decided she didn't need to see how beat up she looked. Joe and Tabitha were still in the room, waiting expectantly. Tina? Joe said. What happened? Are they dead? Tina ignored him, gathering up all her clothes and knives from where they were scattered or hidden throughout the room. She took the wad of cash out of her pocket and counted off two hundred dollars worth of bills. She tossed them on the bed. You're not going to have me give them blowjobs to help you make the rent anymore. This should help you keep you going for a bit. I'll see if I can scare the manager into letting you stay free for a while. After that, I suggest you get a new roommate or find some other situation. What are you talking about? Joe demanded. I'm saying it's over. I'm going to go try to find a better life for myself. I hope you guys will do the same. There was a moment of silence before Tina spoke again. I killed the three men who raped and killed Maricel. Clovis, a tenant from downstairs, was involved and he hung himself. The manager and an old pimp living in this hotel were involved too, but I don't know if they knew that the girls were getting killed, so I'm not going to bother killing them. After giving them a moment to absorb what she had said, Tina said, And don't forget, we helped kill Maricel too. She was so smart and so kind, she could have made such a better life for herself, but we kept her here with us. We got her to take care of us when she should have been getting out of here. Her stuff gathered, Tina left the room, ignoring Joe and Tabitha begging her to stay. She told them she would see them around. On her way out, Tina stopped at Clovis's room. He was hanging from the light fixture by a knotted up sweater, and Tina mused that it was only because he was a fairly short guy that he was able to hang himself. 
Tina found the note that the tall thug had spoken of, and it said pretty much what the thug had recited. Tina searched the room and found a few hundred in cash, which she pocketed. She tried to take Clovis's laptop, but she could not remove the security chain from the radiator, and when she tried to break the laptop off from where it was attached to the chain, the whole thing snapped into two pieces. She dropped the pieces to the floor. Tina stopped at the manager's cage in the lobby. There was a slot for relieving rent payments, envelopes for putting cash in, and a pen and a chain for writing the room number on the envelopes. Tina grabbed an envelope and wrote on it, The people you rented 518 to were not good tenants. They hurt other tenants of this hotel. Try to show better judgment next time. I've taken care of them for you. One month's free rent will be adequate compensation for my services. Sorry about the mess. Rather than putting her name, she signed it Room 312. She put the Room 518 key in the envelope, sealed it, and dropped it in the slot. Tina walked the streets, still feeling somewhat numb. Cold rain soaked her and wind pushed her around. Her glasses fell off her face twice and she had to bend one of the earpieces to get them to stay on. When she got to Althea's house, Althea was up on the third floor, in her bedroom, lying on the pile of blankets that served as her bed. Candles were burning. Althea's pain-killing tea must have kicked in because she talked slowly. You look as bad as me, she said with a little laugh. I'm glad you're still alive. She pointed out a folded sheet in the corner. Put that down on the bed next to me. With one good arm each, they managed to lay the sheet down. Okay, now lay down, Althea instructed. As Tina carefully lay herself down, Althea explained, You can't sleep on my sheets, because I might have sweated enough poison onto them to make you sick. But I washed these special, in case you wanted to sleep over. Tina lay on her back, looking at the peeling paint on the ceiling. The curls of paint cast shadows that danced as the candlelight flickered. The room smelled pleasantly of herbs, smoke, dust, and candle wax. Slowly, her mouth hurting as she spoke, Tina described the fight. She told Althea she thought she had a broken arm. When Althea's aunt came in to check on Althea, Althea asked if Tina could have some of the pain-killing tea the black meds had left. She got some and Tina drank it gratefully, even though it tasted like bitter swamp sludge. The aunt also put Tina's arm in a sling that matched Althea's. We can touch, Althea said when the aunt left, so long as I don't breathe onto your face, and so long as we keep this clean sheet between us. Tina felt Althea's thigh pressing against hers through the sheet. She could feel its warmth. If you decided I was the one, Tina asked, and you started getting me immune to your special poison, how long would it be before we could kiss? I don't know. Some people gain an immunity faster than others. A couple of weeks, I think, and you'd spend most of that time in bed, sick and vomiting. That sounds nice, Tina said sleepily, the tea starting to kick in. Althea pulled another blanket on top of them. Tina could feel Althea's warmth through the blanket, and the cold sheet slowly warmed up. Althea put her good arm around Tina, careful not to touch any of Tina's injuries, holding her through the blanket that separated them. Tina drifted off to sleep.